My guest this week on the show is James Schramko. Now, if you've heard the name James Schramko before, maybe you have, it's because James is the coach or business coach to some of the biggest business names out there. Some people with eight or nine figure businesses who have their own publishing empires or coach platforms, university platforms. He's the coach to some of those people. And I've got names in mind like Pat Flynn, Ryan Levesque and others. And James has worked with thousands of students. He actually did some coaching with me about two or three years ago. And James has written a book called Work Less, Make More. Quite an intriguing title, I'm sure you'd agree. And what James has helped himself and others to figure out is how to free up time that's irreplaceable and valuable, outsource as much as he can to other people to help him run his business, and in doing so, have a great life. And that's really what today is all about, how to work less and make more. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. This is the Training Business Podcast, and this is the weekly show for people like you and me. If you're someone with their own expertise brand, you describe yourself or your clients describe you as a coach, a facilitator, an author, a consultant, or a trainer, this is the right place for you because every single week we've got episodes helping you to focus on the business of making money from what you know, what you've done. Uh, in the form of workshops or courses or keynotes or books, etc. If you're someone who's a keynote speaker for a living or a trainer for a living or a coach, this is the show for you. And I've made all these mistakes and have learned from having great people on the show. And this week, I'm thrilled to have James Schramko on the show, someone I've looked up to for quite a while. And if you've uh, not yet subscribed, let me invite you to do so now. Please click on follow or subscribe, depending on the platform you're listening to this episode on right now, because this helps you to be notified of great episodes as they come out. It costs absolutely nothing and takes only a couple of seconds. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. You're in Australia. I'm in Spain right now. What time is it with you? Uh, so we're 7 p.m., which is uh, last call for the week. So it's always a, okay. a, a big send out. The reason I have you on the call, well, several reasons. In fact, I've admired what you've done for a long time. I've, um, I was previously one of your coaching programs. And I also found out subsequently that one of the people that got me into what I'm doing right now, which is podcasting, was Pat Flynn. And I think you mentored him as well. Still do. Um, I still do. Pretty much. Every wow. week, yep. He's one of the guys who <clears throat> I think perhaps the only guy who I could say conclusively got me into podcasting and it um, really blew me away how he's uh, had an effect on many people in his community. So I've also read the book, um, which I have in my hand. It's signed by you. I got this uh, about two or three years ago and it's called Work Less, Make More, The Counterintuitive Approach to Building a Profitable Business and a Life You Actually Love. Now, most people listening to this will be trainers, coaches, facilitators, and so on. And one of the conundrums or the problems that we often encounter as a community is that we can't find the time. So your title is really intriguing, Work Less, Make More. Let's start with with your background and, and how you help people to work less and make more. 
I will. And, you know, sometimes it actually triggers people. They get angry. I um, uh, Recently, I actually ran a campaign on Facebook to give my book away and the people could get the PDF version. They still can actually on my website, but I give away the PDF version and I had people trolling that, like they were just angry and upset that that I could preposterously say that this is even possible. So the first step is to just be open-minded. Maybe there's something in it. Um, my background was through a sales pathway. So, um, you know, initially I studied some accounting. I left that, did a whole bunch of jobs. I ended up um, during the financial decline in the uh, early 90s, late mm-hmm. 80s, early 90s, uh, became a debt collector. And I went through that, um, sort of went backwards through the business categories. I went from debt collection into credit and then from uh, credit into uh, the technology admin side of things. And then I went from admin uh, into sales, which is a bit of a leap. But I was basically assigned to a sales team, this crack sales team, the best of the best. When the English company Vodafone came to Australia, they set up a sales division and I was the administrator for a sales team. But I sat in all the sales meetings and I got to know the salespeople. And then I started to sort of soak up this sales idea. And then uh, when I was uh, starting to build a family, I really needed to increase my income. And I got myself a job selling BMWs initially. I actually applied for Toyota. They rejected me. And uh, I, I kept working on that and I got a job at BMW. Within a year, I was number one in the whole of Australia for selling BMW. And uh, the second year, I switched across to Mercedes-Benz and stayed there for the rest of my career. I went I went through the sales pathway. I was the number one Mercedes-Benz salesperson in Australia, and then I became a sales manager. And I won that award a couple of times. And then I got promoted to general sales manager. And so my responsibility was increasing. And eventually I, I got sent to this special school by Mercedes-Benz to learn how to be a dealer principal, which is the person who runs a dealership. And for my last uh, four years, I was a general manager. And Mercedes-Benz would pretty much place me in a dealership to turn it around. They, they, the last two assignments I had were dealerships that uh, weren't really representing as well as they could. And Mercedes insisted that they take me on and I would come in and just completely renovate the business from the inside out. Uh, and working closely with the chief financial officer and trying to reach all the targets that Mercedes-Benz had set. And then, of course, trying to relate to the business owners who were rare characters. Uh, the last two places I, I worked with three people who owned the businesses and they were very interesting cats. And I uh, learned a lot about business because it's... Um, a fascinatingly complicated business, the car dealership. You, you're selling time, you're selling money, you're selling stock, and you, you've got an international brand, but you also sell to a local market. And of course, you have a lot of the constraints that make business difficult, like having to have uh, really high rent or uh, payments on a, a property. You have to have a, tens of millions of dollars worth of stock. You have to have 50 to 70 staff on payroll. Uh, so, you know, I just learned so much. And then as I was thinking, you know, I'd really rather not put on a suit and tie and drive to work six days a week. Uh, I'd been sort of absorbing some of the information from the the, the gods of the uh, business world like Jay Abraham and Dan Kennedy and so forth. And I got this seed planted that maybe I should have my own business. And I figured out that uh, it'd be a good idea to learn how to 
build a website because this internet was starting to be a thing that I couldn't ignore. And uh, progressively, I taught myself how to build a website. And about two and a half years later, I was able to be in a position where I didn't have to go into the work anymore. I quit my job in about mid-2008, so 15 years ago, which it sounds like a long time when I say it now. I walked in and said, thanks very much, but I don't need the job anymore. And I just went online. And, and some of the things I was doing online, I was starting to get quite good at. And then I noticed other people were struggling with it. And some people would say, could you help me with this or could you help me with that? And uh, I realized that I had all these skills that they didn't have. And there were some particular skills that they really were missing. So some of these people were brilliant at online stuff or they were just great experts at the thing they're doing, but they didn't have the business skills. They didn't have any training on how to hire or look after a team. They weren't uh, in any way capable of looking at financial reporting or dashboards or, or KPIs or metrics. They were just flying blind. Um, they had no concept of things like single source dependency or being able to leverage their time properly or which projects to focus on or how to steer the business with strategy. None of that was there. They were just basically pure talent and then they would crash and burn. So I guess I, I ended up uh, creating a community around 2009 where I was looking after these people and I kept doing that. I still do it today. I've still got that community. All these years later, I put a, a layer on top in 2010 to deal with um, the higher level people like the Pat Flynn's who, by the way, I agree with you, this guy is just an amazing, amazing operator. He's so talented and, and so good at his craft. And I get to see behind the scenes just how genuine he is. Mm. And um, that's still around in a, in a smaller version. And then I've created a layer in the middle in between. And during that time, I built and sold a few things like an SEO business and a website business. And I had a big portfolio of domains and uh, link building and stuff. And I still, to this day, from, from the beginning to now, I've still promoted other people's products or services for commission because I'm extremely comfortable selling things uh, given my background. And, and I also came up with a model that Jay Abraham told me he wished he'd done more of, and that was the revenue share partnership model. And uh, as of today, about half my income comes from uh, about seven partners. So seven partners, um, I guess if you like to think of it as I'm kind of a, a silent partner or, or an investor in their business, then I help them grow it and I get paid on the performance. I get paid a commission on the growth they have. And that's a wildly fascinating business model. Mm. It's got amazing leverage and it suits anyone who's good at something. But not many people know about this model, even though they see it in other realms. They see uh, Michael Jordan might get a, a royalty every time someone buys a pair of Air Jordan sneakers. Or a music artist might get a royalty every time they sell a record uh, or, or however they deliver streaming or however it works these days. So um, it's just a royalty business model. Yeah. And I, I think that, so that's the innovation from then to now. I like to think of you as a, as a coach and a trainer because you have um, some content which I've read and followed, which helps people in a number of ways. If we focus on the concept that people can work less to make more, it's a very enticing thing. Most of us are limited in some form or another by the constraint of resources. 
we don't have enough money, we don't have enough, let's say, uh, sources of income. The one thing that unites us all is this um, constraint of time, and there's no way to make time. Um, you, you, you're well known for talking about how you've managed to carve out this process whereby you work very little, but you you maximize the revenue from that time. Um, what are some of the challenges do you think that self-employed people come up against when they're trying to establish a business? And the reason I say this is that many people who've um, who are in my community um, as trainers, coaches, facilitators have come from a corporate environment where they worked in someone else's business. And they had this idea, I'd come out of that environment and I'd work for myself and things would be easier. In fact, it's the reverse is true. Now they're involved in marketing, they're involved in planning, they're involved in designing, they're involved in sales, they're involved in delivery, and they can't see how to carve out more time or claw back time or structure their week in such a way that uh, they're doing less and making more, uh, which brings us back to your book. Yeah, it's a, it is a fascinating conundrum. And part of it is that even though you can't create time, you can buy time, which okay. is what their employer was doing with them. Yeah, The employer was buying their time. They were saying, hey, listen, uh, Mark, we'd like to buy some of your time. Would you be happy to give us 40 hours a week for the next year? And we'll pay you in installments. And uh, look, don't worry, we'll take out all the tax and we'll give you a little bit of superannuation or retirement fund. But we do have some certain demands and, and ways we want to do things. We're not going to make you do any of this marketing stuff or the, whatever. We'll keep that well away from you. <laughs> Gosh, you'd be dangerous if you knew some of that stuff. Uh, but we just want you to do this specialty thing that you do. So really, if you want to just put the shoe on the other foot, why don't you buy other people's time? And part of getting out of that trap of being the expert trying to do everything is don't, don't try and do everything. It, it sounds mm-hmm. too simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's and and we already know this in life, right? That same employee, I bet you they've been to a restaurant before, and bought a meal, and that's that's where they've they've gone somewhere where somebody else has grown the food, transported it, prepared it, cooked it, served it up on a plate, and sat in front of them, and all the employee did is walk into that place, eat and pay and then walk out. And someone else picks up the plates, dishwashes it, puts it all away or whatever, throws out the scraps. So we already know to do this. Uh, some people get someone to, to clean their pool or mow the lawn or or um, take the leaves out of their gutter. So why don't we apply this into the work thing? Why should we be, if you're an expert at something, I'll pick an expertise. What's somebody an expert at, Mark? Let's say um, leadership training, for example. Let's say they're an expert at leadership training. They probably shouldn't be tinkering with their website. They probably shouldn't be doing their bookkeeping. They probably shouldn't be uh, formatting or editing content. They shouldn't be uh, sending out emails to their database. They should have someone else doing all of these things for them. And now you're going to say that they can't afford it. But that that's a common one. And the thing is, um, if if you could work out all the things you're doing and then just pick off the low cost ones that are commoditized and easy to get. Start with those ones and just build yourself up. But in the way that my business works now is I really only do a couple of things and that's all I do. I I obviously have the strategic uh, vision for where I think my business is going to go. I'm, I'm the one ultimately responsible for steering the ship and I generally create part of the content. So I might do the recording for a podcast mm-hmm. 
And then the rest of it's product fulfillment. I deliver on, on for my clients. I, I talk to my partners or I uh, do a group coaching call with my mentor levels or I answer forum posts for the other members. That's my job, product fulfillment and a little bit of content prep. But I'm not editing my stuff. I don't send out the broadcast emails. I don't keep my website alive. I don't do my bookkeeping. All of that stuff's taken care of by a great little team, but half a dozen team members in the Philippines and they take care of everything. Everything. Yep. Wow. So what is the what is focus on the power of 64 for that formula, which I found in the book? What is that? So when I was reading about 80-20, which is referenced in several books that most people might have stumbled across that perhaps they've read the four-hour work week or maybe even Richard, Richard Koch's 80-20, the yeah. original one. Um, it's an old concept. Obviously, the Pareto was onto it hundreds of years ago. But 64-4, when I read that 80-20 is fractal, that means that it could be applied to itself. I started sort of pulling out the calculator and thinking about, well, what's the 80-20 of the... T- of the 20, right? If if 20% gets you 80% of the results, um, what happens if you 80-20 that 20? And I realized that 4% of the things you do get you 64% of your results. And it's really quite fascinating. What it means is you could get most of the results you get now from a, just a fraction of the things that you're doing. And we, we could apply it in terms that people might be able to relate to. Mm-hmm. If you had a shirt, if you had shirts hanging in the, the closet, there's probably one or two that you wear a lot and love. And then there's a bunch that you'd probably never, ever wear, maybe even still have the tags on it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's an example. Or if you have shoe, a shoe rack, there might be black shoes that you wear to work every day. And then there could be some ski boots that you wear like three days a year, every second year. Right. So. Um, There'll, there'll be, there'll be, you know, if you're a cyclist and you've got three or four road cycle bikes, probably the one one you ride the most, and a couple that you ride every now and then. So it applies yeah. across a lot of things. It's fascinating. And there's the temptation that, as experts, we think, well, I'm not me, or I'm not really a business owner unless I'm actually doing that thing. So if I'm running a leadership business or a sales training business, or I'm a consultant or a coach or a facilitator. Unless I'm doing that thing, and it's actually how I describe myself, then um, what am I actually doing? What am I actually worth? So it's tempting for us to say, well, if I'm the if I'm a coach, I must be coaching. It's hard for some people to distinguish and separate the business from themselves. D- do you find that people have a badge or a mindset where it's got to be me because I'm the person? This is what I'm charging for. It's got to be my time, not someone else's. Well, that's part of the thing. If you're coming from a, a company to working in your own business, you're probably bringing across the hang-up of thinking that you sell time for money, mm-hmm. right? So it's very dangerous to do that because there's a finite amount. You've probably got about 160 hours a month that you could sell. So your income is going to be capped by whatever you think your hourly rate is times 160 if you sold every available hour and did nothing else, which you don't. Of course, with throughput, you might be lucky to sell 60 hours. So if you were, if you were charging out, uh, you know, $200 an hour times 60 hours, you're not really going to make, it's not going to move the needle. Like you're not going to be a millionaire Mm -hmm. the first year or two. Right. So it depends what role you want to play. I mean, it'd be great if you could end up being the investor role 
where you've you you own the business, but you got other people running it, and you're just investing in it. Um, maybe you're the business operator where you're conducting the orchestra, but you hire in the musicians into the team. But maybe you're the best violin player in the world, and you just play the violin, but someone else. Uh, like carries it around for you and cleans it for you and puts it up on the stand and you just walk in and play and then walk out. So you can choose the role you want, but just only do the thing that you want to do and don't do the other stuff. And with the 64-4, the important part to keep in mind is just by stopping doing some things, you can automatically improve your results. I'll I'll give you an example. Let's say you're an expert. You have 10 clients. if you were to take a, if you, if, if you would agree with me that not all clients are equal, right? True. Some are better than others. Some are worse than others. Mm-hmm. So we take a bell curve distribution, which probably works out. You're going to have one or two clients who are amazing. They're low friction. They pay well, you know, like, like Pat Flynn for me. He's an amazing client. He's a high level thinker. He's easy to deal with personally, lovely guy, mm-hmm. great payer. Everything's good. There'll be a couple of clients in the middle, three or four people in the middle that are sort of so-so, just either side of average. There'll be two, two or three, one, one or two difficult clients, like late payers, high friction, extra demanding, pushing on the scope. Um, you, you see a message from them, you start feeling <laughs> you're palpitating or getting angry or whatever. If you just stop dealing with clients that are difficult to deal with, it just lifts the whole thing. You know, it, it's... It's removing that compromise and you could redeploy that same energy that you put into difficult clients into a couple of dream clients and now everything moves up. So I have to ask you then, how do you think people can attract more of those dream clients so we're not dealing with so many difficult people who, and and many people listening will recognize that there are, as you said, James, some people we've got on our books who are, they pay well, but they're a pain in the ass, quite frankly. They don't pay on time or they argue over a bill or they just... They change the scope of a project. It happens a lot. How do you attract more of those dream ideal clients? Well, it's good to know who your dream client is. So yeah. you, it's worth doing an exercise or writing down what makes a good client. If you don't know, a simple exercise that I teach people to do is to score your clients. Go through your list of past clients, let's say the last year's worth of clients, and draw some columns. And some of the examples of what might be in a column might be uh, in a, out, on a scale of one to 10, like you put a number, how easy is this person to work with? The next column might be, is this person able to generate referrals or is good for my business? The next column might be, um, what kind of results am I getting for this client? Right? Am I actually getting great results or not? The last one might be like, are they a good payer? The next one perhaps could be, uh, is, is this, do I feel, um, joy when I see this person's name or do I feel utter despair, right? And and get to the score and then I would say take the top 20%, they're your perfect client types and then go and deliberately target like where did you get that person from? Who else do they know that's just like them? And get your type and look for those people. And especially important, when if you've got your bottom 20% of clients that really grind you out that aren't that profitable that you don't even get a great result for or just you resent having, but you're doing it because you're compromised or needing it right now. As soon as you can possibly afford to drop them and put all sorts of filters to repel those people in the future. 
So you could put and and simple verbiage that you could put on any offer, whether it's a proposal or an offer page or your social media or bio or whatever. It's like who this is not for. And I'm actually quite deliberate with that. I don't work with startups, for example. And I had, to, I had a chap email me yesterday. He says, I haven't started yet. I have no current clients and I'm not billing. Um, would you consider taking me on? And I sent him back six or seven suggestions on what he could do uh, in the meantime until he's ready for me. And he really appreciated it. But I can tell you, if I took him on because, uh, you know, because I thought, oh, just this time, I'll help this guy. I can tell you, I would put so much time and effort into this one yeah. unknown versus working with a high flying already going someone who's got momentum and the 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 metaphor that i use for this is the parked car on the side of the road you can choose do you want to work with cars that are already on the freeway that are doing 80 kilometers an hour and you know could at least be good for 120 or do you want to take a risk on that parked car because you don't even know if it's got an engine it's probably got a flat battery flat tires no engine uh, it might may, maybe unsafe it might might not even move a foot. But you could spend a lot of time and energy trying to get that thing running. It just makes sense when you think about it that way. So it's having that courage, and it is courage actually, courageous to to tell people no. I'm not for whatever reason uh, you're not right for and me. There's and nice ways to say it. I'm sure there are. You can use words like fit or timing or whatever. Mm. But it's it is you have to be courageous. I'm going to say if you decide to leave employment and be a, an entrepreneur. You're going to have to take massive responsibility. You have to front the mirror, look back at the person in the mirror, looking back at you and say, I'm going to, I'm going to look after you. I'm going to be, I'm going to be um, making sure we don't compromise uh, with our choices. Uh, and I'm going to protect the future version of us, right? I'm going to make sure that in uh, next week, when we look at the calendar, we don't think, well, why did we do this to ourselves? And there are weeks when I've done that. I think you know. I, this We've all done person, it. Yeah, they I, pay I've well. had something. I've mm. had an appointment. You know, I've had things roll around in my schedule. Like I have to go fly somewhere, fly to another country. It's like, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to pack, get all the travel things, and then I could go and be away from my family. I'll be in a hotel. I'll speak. I'll shake a lot of hands. I'll I'll get drained a bit, and then I'll come back and then pick up my momentum. So I've deliberately designed my life now to not have those sort of interruptions. I have a much steadier routine. Mm. I'm very, very uh, focused on the things I like. And when I notice my body feeling like I don't want something, I don't want to do something, I'll stop it. And I got to that point uh, you know, earlier this year with one of my programs where I felt that it had come to an end of, of its run. It was a good innings. I had a 13-year run. But I called the end of it because it no longer made me feel excited like it did in the beginning, and I felt like there was it was time for change, and it it was it was a great change. And the reason it's hard to do that, and I've done this repeatedly, is it's hard to turn off good income. It's hard to say, stop yeah. paying me. It's fine. We're gonna we're gonna change change the options here. And in we're talking seven or eight year relationships for a lot of those people. Because that's the average retention I had in that program was people stayed for seven and a half years, and uh, it it sometimes it's time and you know it and you just have to back yourself and it is difficult, and some people should just stay in a job, and that's that's probably a big takeaway. If all of this sounds too scary, 
and I, I don't want you to hate me for saying this, but it's it, as an entrepreneur, I mean, my whole role is supporting people who are uh, in business for themselves and it can be isolating and it can be challenging and there are setbacks. You will get the metaphorical punches in the face along that journey. It's inevitable. But even huge corporations do, like a British Telecom is apparently going to lay off a whole bunch of people because they figured AI can take over those roles. Like you're right. still yeah. in a perilous position either way. So I took the one that pays better and gives me a little bit more freedom. What kind of people do you work with? I know, for example, that um, you work with some coaches, you help them build uh, six, seven, eight figure businesses. Perhaps touch upon that a little if you wouldn't mind, James. So it's mostly oh, it's online businesses. I, I prefer online businesses. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, ironically, I ran offline businesses quite well, as it turns out, but I do prefer the online businesses. It's businesses that are already in motion, so not startups. Um, I don't work with things like MLMs just because they don't sit with my values. Um, I work with men and women, uh, mostly agencies and information product expert types mm-hmm. uh, who want to especially want help with the, you know, business models and the, and the packaging. But, you know, the, the main product that I'm helping people with these days, I call a sounding board and that's me and them working out what their plan should be. And then me helping them execute the plan and stick with them. I'm basically riding shotgun with them through their journey mm. and helping them make good choices, avoid all the mistakes that I've seen over the last 15 plus years, actually about 17 or 18 years now. Um, and because I've got so many case studies of people who have succeeded, I've seen a lot of pathways that work. So it's eliminating all the mistakes. And you don't have to be alone anymore, which I think is probably the biggest struggle. It, this is not, it's, it's, it's so rare that someone can go it alone. There's very few people. So if someone's listening, you, you, what you're just saying applies to someone who perhaps uh, like me is an author or perhaps is not yet an author, but has something in their head, some kind of expertise that they feel can translate into some kind of uh, content, which people will pay access for. So you help people who build communities or subscription models, right? I'm known for the membership model. I definitely teach people the revenue share model. So the revenue share model is really good for experts if they're good at something because they can probably get a royalty for their expertise. Um, I do have software as a service businesses. I do have e-commerce business, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not an e-commerce specialist. I've never really done that model was you know, physical goods other than a DVD set uh, that I have on my shelf here uh, back in the day. But yes, that's, that's probably true. And this is something very important for experts to know. And you sort of touched on it earlier, but it's not obvious. Experts have probably seen other experts who aren't as expert as them going quite well. Yep. And they probably get confused by that or even frustrated about it. It's like, hey, how come that guy is making all this money or, or having going on that ski trip? And, and I know so much more than him and I've got more degrees than him and I've had more industry awards than him. Um, the the reality is that generally it's the better marketer who will win. So you need to surround yourself with good people, good marketers, because you could you could be a great marketer with a reasonable product, and you're going to completely annihilate a, a fantastic expert who's the world's greatest but can't market themselves out of a paper bag. And that's the harsh reality. It never hurts to have a great product. I mean, I look for yeah. people with great products. But if you can't get out to the market and let people know about it and then get them over the line to buy something, then it's kind of a secret. 
And that's something that many people struggle with. I know that for a fact. People have um, come out of industry and they've set themselves up as a consultant and they just can't understand why the bell's not ringing, the phone's not ringing, they're not receiving Because they've detached themselves from the marketing machine, which was the the vehicle that they were encased within as the expert. The other thing is it's it's a pretty classic thing with authors because a lot of people mistakenly believe that having a book is going to make them rich. And the reality is the book really is just a heavy business card. You've got to have something behind the book. You have to have a course or a program or consulting or something. The book is a conversion tool. It's not where you're going to, unless you're Stephen King or whatever, sure, or, or um, right. who wrote the lady that wrote Harry Potter. She's good. But for most people, especially business-related authors, the book is a front end to something that actually pays you the money later. A big lead magnet, basically. Pretty much. And yeah. it, it gives people a, a nice way to get to know, and it gives you options. You know, you can supercharge a book. You can give it away. You can um, run ads to it on Amazon. You can get referral sales on Amazon. I, like I do love that royalty that they send me from Amazon for the book sales. I've had like six years worth now and Audible. Because I have a podcast, more people buy the audio version of my book than the print version. But I'm happy to give my book away. I don't need to make any money from the book. It costs me money when I ship someone a, a physical copy for $10. Like my one. It costs one. me a dollar or two. <laughs> Right, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, because it's a long game, and uh, eventually you'll find your right people. They'll they'll pop up, and the 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 best way to answer your question directly: How do you get more of the best type of clients? You case study your best clients and put them back into your marketing, and then other people just like that person think, "Oh, gee, I'm like this person. I had the same problem as this person. I want the same result this person got." And the common factor is is the expert. So I'm going to go ahead and make that purchase. It, it just, it's the greatest way to make a sale because it's evidence-based, it's factual, it's real, it's not hypey, it's instructive, it's actionable. I, like I love the case study method and I have a podcast. So I put a lot of case studies on there because why not? You know, if I've generated results um, with people and they're happy to share it, then that that's great. They get their moment in in uh, with the spotlight and they're also a lot of them have gratitude they actually feel like they'd like to do something for me which is lovely and I like to bring them to the the market but they also do attract other people just like them and one of the classic ones is I helped a bass guitarist uh, with his membership and information products and now in my uh, in my group I've got a lot of musicians I've got voice coaches saxophone teachers guitarists bass guitarists uh, like you name it, we've had it, but but they've come from that, you know, just like that case study method. Yeah. And you work also with a lot of people who've got information products. So people who are experts in some sphere and they've got programs, content, uh, lessons, uh, some kind of coaching program, which you can help them market and sell. Yes. And also agencies, people with services mm. are yeah. very, very like, search engine optimization, website development, copywriting, yeah. uh, and so on and so forth. Traffics, like all the, all of those things, they they um, have a – and because I built and sold a couple of those businesses, I know that blueprint pretty well. Where can people find out more about you, James? Um, let's mention a couple of uh, resources and, and places to find you online. 
Uh, uh, most mostly, I'm James Shramko, and mm. you know all the socials and my website. And I think uh, jamesshramko.com forward slash book. If you want to grab a copy of the book, free, you get the PDF version. Yeah, and if you I've want me to mine. pay you to ship it, <laughs> I'll pay ten bucks. I'll send it wherever, uh, including shipping. So I think that's a good deal. And you very kindly signed mine, which I have here beside me. Nice. Well, I'm not doing that anymore. Just, just right. but, but back in the day, I actually had a box of books next to me, and when someone joined my membership, I would sign the book and I would actually put it in the envelope and address it, and then go down to the post office and send it myself. But now I've built a nice system for that to be someone else to do it because I was <laughs> I really want to do it, but yeah. I I don't want to do it myself anymore. And so it was, you know, just an example of some leverage. Clawing back time and, and creating processes which you can outsource to people. There's still loads to learn. I was actually learn. stumped for a while, like how to do really? that automatically. Yeah. And, I, and a client gave me the answer and it was like, brilliant, I can do that. I'll put all the uh, links on today's episode then on the show notes over at trainingbusiness.com. James, thank you so much again for being my guest today on the show. Well, thank you, Mark. My huge thanks to James Shramko for being my guest today on the show. And um, if you're intrigued by what James has said, you can find him online. His website is James Shramko. That's S-C-H-R-A-M-K-O, jamesshramko.com. The book is called Work Less, Make More, which you'll find on James's website as well as online. He also has a bonus chapter, which you can access for free and a workbook accompanying that book. And again, as I said, I have my own copy here. I read that in one sitting on a Sunday several weeks ago, and it just made me think I've got to get back in touch with James. So again, thank you, James, for being my guest this week. And all links mentioned in today's episode will, of course, be online over at www.trainingbusiness.com. My team, Sam, Joe, James, Turul, Christina, Ignacy, and I appreciate your loyalty and know that you'll come back again next week. If you've not yet done so, please click on follow or subscribe and I'll see you again next Thursday morning or whatever time that is for you when you're listening to this episode. Take care, look after yourself, speak soon. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time. 